For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty. That means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Good morning, people and War Eagle. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in Everything Auburn. I am your host, Taylor Davis, joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Jason Campbell, here to talk all things Auburn. And we have another wonderful episode for you today. We're going to run through some different updates that have come out in regards to how Auburn as a university, as well as the athletics department, is continuing to help fight the spread of COVID, different protocols and practices that have been established, and how that is affecting a variety of our sports teams. Um, but we also have a phenomenal guest today, and we have already recorded the interview, so spoiler alert, it's so good. <laughs> we have uh, a guy who used to block for Jason's blindside, actually, former offensive lineman Marcus McNeil is going to be joining us, and boy, does he have some energy. It was such a fun and entertaining interview so we want to get you to that as quickly as possible but first let's check in with our wonderful jcam who is hard at work on some diy projects during this quarantine how you doing jason what's up taylor i'm doing <laughs> good um i can't complain you know it's a wednesday you know we got off and on rain but hey it's another day so that's all i can say um you know been outside trying to work on some drain issues um you know, like mm -hmm. you said, doing some DIY projects, in-house yeah. projects, but I enjoy that stuff. You know, that's, that's, I enjoy it. It's kind of like, it's my relaxing time. You know how everybody has time that they like to do to relax and get away? That's what I like yeah. to do. And, okay. uh, and I enjoy it. Yeah. You're, you're a bit of a HGTV interior design, like handyman. Who would have thought? You're a man of many talents. Exactly. You know, I just try. You know, I try. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, we are doing what we can to get by. We hope everyone is staying happy and healthy and safe and doing what you can because, you know, it feels like we're making progress, but then it also feels like we're not. So it's just kind of messing with everyone mentally, but we hope everyone's doing well. And we hope this episode brings you some uh, joy and entertainment on this lovely day. So we are going to jump right on in to the topics. And like I said, just wanted to give some updates on how the university is combating the continued spread of COVID, especially in relation to our athletics department. So Let's go ahead and go through these. The first one is actually a follow-up to a topic that we discussed on our last episode in regards to the extended preseason proposal for football. And like I said on the last episode, the D1 Council was um, going to be voting on that that week. So as expected, the NCAA Division I Council did approve the recommended extended preseason schedule that was set by the Football Oversight Committee. So just so you don't have to go and research the articles and read a ton, I did the work for you. So I'm about to drop some knowledge. Everyone, hang tight. 
The plan calls for voluntary workouts to continue through the middle of July. And then from July 13th through 23rd, teams will be allowed to require up to eight hours of weight training, conditioning, and film review per week. From July 24th to August 6th, teams will be able to require up to 20 hours of athletic activities per week. And those activities include up to eight hours of weight training and conditioning and up to six hours of field walkthroughs that include the use of a football and then six hours of meetings, which can be film review, position meetings, one-on-ones, et cetera. And then that leads us into the 29-day preseason practice schedule, which will begin as planned on August 7th. So that is what has officially been set and established and approved, and that's what this Auburn football team is going to do moving forward. So kind of like we said last time, we at least have a plan. We have answers to you know questions that – have to do with the next couple of months and we're moving forward as though season will begin on September 5th against Alcorn State and I think that's basically all we can be hoping for right now yeah uh I tell you what I don't know if it's just me or or if you even noticed this but it seemed like this year is just flying by fast beyond it feels like I guess because we've been kind of restrained from going certain places and I just don't know if it just feels like, but we're already at June 24th mm-hmm. and we kind of got lost track of the virus over the last couple of weeks because everything else has been transpired in the world. Yeah. But, you know, this thing has turned around and has started to increase. Yep. And that's the scary part about this because I'm like you, I'm hopeful and everything that things are going to turn over the next month and a half and that we will have a season but this thing, we can't control it, and yeah. and it's scary and uh, and everything. And I, when I think about the dates and everything that they're doing, they're doing the right thing by putting dates on it because you have to. You know, we right. talked about this in our last episode that you have to have a plan. But, you know, right now we just have to proceed cautionary, and uh, I'm pretty sure that, you know, we heard about the LSU program with all the guys that, you know, had tested positive and how they're trying mm-hmm. to quarantine and do different things. And everything. So my whole thing, Taylor, that kind of scares me a little bit is when you think about some of the older coaches, you yeah. know, these older coaches, will this affect them to a point where it limits their recruiting from face to face and it limits their time from being able to be on the field with their players Oh wow! face to face? Like, do they have to stand up on like a rail or something and like coach down to them? instead of being like on the field actually with the players when they allow this, because if you're a coach that's 60 or older, you're chancing it every day. And uh, so it's just a matter of fact, like how does this affect older coaches? And you think about Alabama, I hate to say this on the show, but you know, you think about coach Saban, you know, he's an older coach. And is it something if they, if we are to play a season, is it something that he has to do from the sidelines or he going to be in the box? You know, like, so it's just so many parameters and so many unanswered questions. And I'm still hopeful that there's going to be a season. And I'm just hopeful that this thing turns over the next month and a half because we still have time. That's the thing about the season. It doesn't start to September. But, yes, you have to be practicing full go at least by August 5th. I was like, otherwise, you're just throwing guys out there and it's a chance for injury because you hadn't had time to to groom and get in shape. Yeah, you make a good point about the older coaches. I swear – I will fight COVID for Kevin Steele. I will literally (laughs) be up in arms if that thing comes for him. You know how I am about Coach Steele. That is just – because, honestly, it's not like coaches can be in masks 
that right. so much of what they do is vocal. So you can't have any kind of, I mean, if a headset is fuzzy, the whole game gets stopped, you know? So mm-hmm. like if we have anything blocking, you know, their, their ability to communicate, we're in trouble too. So like, that's another aspect of it. Everyone's, you know, obviously freaking out about the potential that fans are not going to be there, but daggum, if there's coaches that aren't, are at risk here by being in the state, I can't honestly, this entire thing gives me anxiety. And like, I just, I feel like I'll have periods of time where I'm really hopeful and optimistic. And then Clemson has 23 players test positive. LSU has like 30. And honestly, the state of Alabama is is continuing to increase at a very high high rate. It's become one of the nation's hotspots for new coronavirus cases mm. with more than 7,200 reported since the start of June. And Auburn University Medical Director Dr. Fred Cam said Monday that 24 students have tested positive last week. So this is something that is very much affecting the state and Auburn. So we have to keep an eye on this thing. And I know that we're in good hands and university officials and, and Alan Green and everyone is doing their part. I saw a video on Twitter the other day of this like sanitation machine that they have for the footballs. And like oh, wow. they're they're doing everything that they possibly can. But it's just there's so much still unknown. But I do appreciate that we at least have kind of a, a calendar and, and some dates to kind of look ahead to over the next couple of months. And honestly, I think the decisions are kind of going to get made in in their own time and in their own way. So that's what the football team is up to for now. But I also want to update you guys on what the basketball team is up to because players returned to campus last week and also began their voluntary workouts on Monday. So that is also positive. With their season beginning in November, they've got a little bit more time to see how all of this unfolds. But it's still very important for them to be getting that foundation established the same way it is for football. So the NCAA's D1 Council approved the recommended plan for basketball summer workouts. So the teams will be able to continue holding voluntary workouts through the end of June. And then from July 1st through 19th, they'll add team individual and film review meetings for no more than eight hours a week. And then schools will start holding required summer activities on July 20th, which would include on-court practices with no more than four hours per week of skill instruction. So that continues through the start of preseason practice, which is 42 days before first regular season game. So honestly, these plans and protocols are still allowing us to line up with the typical um, period of time right before season starts. So that's at least positive. Yeah, that's positive. And when you think about basketball, you know, it's a lot less guys you have to deal with. You know, right. you think about football, it's 85 guys on scholarship and then you got mm-hmm. walk-ons. So you're dealing almost 100 people and then you got to count trainers and coaches. It gets up to close to 130 people easily. Yeah. So when you think about the band, that's another 100 some people easily, you know, but when you think about cheerleading, okay, you're talking about a lot less bodies. When you're talking yeah. about Basketball, a lot less bodies. Even baseball, there's a lot less bodies. And even mm-hmm. they couldn't do it this year. But when you think about basketball in the aspect of the recruiting class that that we got this year, an outstanding class that we have coming in. And, and when mm-hmm. you think about the point guard position and Sharif Cooper, you know, kid I got a chance to watch play over here in Atlanta a lot. You know, he's the guy that they're looking forward to, to facilitating the, the ball and making sure right. that everyone touches the ball and uh, right. and the run at offense and, and, and everything. So he's the most important ingredient because he has to get used to the guys that are already there. 
and he has to get used to the guys that are coming in with him. It's one thing to go play pickup ball, play AAU ball, but it's another thing when you come into a major college and you're playing in a major university whose basketball program is skyrocketed and you're expected to compete at a high level. And now you're having to bring this young man in. It's so important that they can get some practices in, but at the same time, it's, it's just like, how do you do it? You know, cause it, to mm-hmm. me, to me, I'm like this as a player, it's only so much film I can watch. It's only so much, you know, walkthroughs I can do. Like at some point I yeah. have to do something full speed. Like mm-hmm. that's the only way I get better. I got to do it full speed. And I got to make the mistake full speed so I can know how to correct it. So, you know, hopefully, man, like we got to stay positive. I'm just keep a positive mindset, but we have to talk about these things because they're out there. You know, we have yeah. to uh, accept reality and everything and understand like, hey, we have to talk about it. So, but like you were saying, though, with all the things that set in place with the dates and everything, basketball does have a little while, a little time ahead to think about it. So, you know, hopefully, you know, it doesn't take long for basketball players to get the continuity. I, you know, you can yeah. get continuity within a month, and mm-hmm. that's just how basketball is. But football is just a whole different ball game. Yeah, I mean, really, in all sports, team unity and cohesion is very important. But in football, it's imperative, and and really in basketball too. I mean, there is there is so much that's team driven, not individualized. You know, kind of like baseball has those mm-hmm. moments, and golf, and even gymnastics. Like the individual, I would I would argue carries more weight than a team sport like football and and I would put basketball in there too. So you've got to be working as a well-oiled machine, as a unit. So there really are a lot of parallels here for basketball and football really needing to get back to campus and be starting whatever they can with teammates and coaches present just to kind of start that that team camaraderie and cohesion because I mean, the most successful Auburn basketball teams we've had in the past couple seasons, like Bruce Pearl did talk about how how united they were and how much mm-hmm. of a team they were and how they could read each other so well on the court. So, like, that, that is imperative. And, and so I'm glad to see that they're getting an opportunity to be back in some capacity. They just have a little bit more wiggle room right now and, and time to kind of see this thing pan out. But, you know, what's worrisome is that a lot of experts – are predicting that this thing is going to come back with a second wave in the late fall months. So that would basically kaput basketball. I mean, by the time they get going could be the time that this second wave is kicking up again, which is why um, Auburn university has made some academic adjustments as well. The on-campus fall semester is going to begin as scheduled on August 17th, but it will conclude November 24th, the Tuesday Mm. before Thanksgiving. So there's going to be no fall break and finals are going to be administered remotely in early December, which, like, could I please have had a take-home final? <laughs> like, what? Um, that's the one silver lining that you students can find in this mess. Um, but this is, you know, in hopes to combat the second wave that is expected to come later in the year. I guess to your point is the best scenario is everyone be hopeful and prayerful that we find a vaccine because I'm Lysol down. <laughs> I bleached down. <laughs> I've done so many things that you can do. Like, man, I just like at this point, like the like I said, it's hopeful for prayer and through a vaccine that yeah. I think that's the only way this thing slows down and we get contained of it and can get it out of here. Yeah. They're also gonna require masks on campus, well, in campus buildings, unless you're like in your dorm or something, but 
I mean, I didn't think Haley Center could get any worse, but now if you're requiring me to wear a mask, maybe that's worse. I love Auburn through and through, but like Haley Center is the worst building on planet oh, yeah. Earth. So like <laughs> literally already with the quadrants, but now you're going to force me to be finding my classroom in a mask. It's just, it's, it's tough. Oh. And honestly, like I feel for the students that, you know, cause this is going to affect their college experience a little bit. And like those four years go by so fast and, and you can't get that time back. But, right. you know, I would just encourage any students that are feeling discouraged about it. We're all going to find blessings in this at some yeah. point, And you're, you're just going to have to make the most of it while we're there. Do your part to, to be smart and stop the spread of this thing. But uh, just try not to get discouraged because Auburn's a special place. So even if you are there in the midst of all this craziness, you're still going to find happiness on the planes. Yeah, especially if you're a senior in high school. Think about it. You had your senior spring semester wiped away. And now you're getting ready to have your freshman year in college and you're, it's up in the air. Man, right. like that is tough. That is a tough go. And uh, ooh, and you're talking about kids walking around with masks on all day. Let's just be honest. How many kids have enough patience to do that? And, you know, it's it's tough, but at the same time, it's almost like a blind date reality show because everyone's walking around with masks on. So you really have to learn how to communicate without actually seeing each other full face. So if you are a person that likes dating and you're single and you're dating you're in screwed. the fall, you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's gonna be single. We just it's it's all gonna be the personality is what's important these days. All right. We're we're all becoming less shallow, I think. But one more topic that I want to discuss before we bring in Marcus is in regards to baseball. So actually three Auburn baseball players have entered the transfer portal within the past couple of weeks, actually. Freshman infielder Mason Greer, infielder Connor Davis, and outfielder Austin Turner have all entered the transfer portal. Now it has been announced that Connor Davis will be transferring to Arizona State for his final year of eligibility. I'm unsure about Greer and Turner if that's come out and been announced. I haven't seen it, but... Um, Interesting to me when I saw this announcement, because I just think, you know, we've we've talked to Gabe Gross and and we obviously have stayed in in with the baseball. And it does seem like this is a program that's headed in a really good direction. And I think even this past season, if it hadn't ended the way it would have, I really think this team would have been in Omaha again. So mm -hmm. it, it doesn't seem like a, a program with no hope where these guys feel like they need to make the most of their last last hurrah. Um, but for some reason, these three felt driven to go elsewhere and, and have entered the portal. But also interesting timing because, you know, it, it's not like you can really go visit right now and, and everything's being done virtually. So I, I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious what kind of transpired for, for these three to look externally. But, you know, I'm also curious. You made a good point when we were talking about this earlier how everything that's going on right now is going to affect the transfer portal. Like I said, your, your travel limitations and inability to really go see, you know, a game and see what a, a game day environment is like that, that might be limited right now. And, and you also don't want to take the chance of going too far from family at a time like this. Like, I don't know, there's just so many levels to um, a really big life decision, like transferring colleges. Yeah. And I think you, you know, you're probably going to see more of this and, you know, it's a scary thing to think of, but Kids are thinking of their families and they have to think of their parents. You know, they want their parents to sometimes their biggest supporters and they want yeah. them in the stands. They want them close by, you know, cheering them on and rooting them on. And then when you think about it, if you're a kid that's from the West Coast and you sign with a school on the East Coast, 
you're not you you're not comfortable with your parents hopping on the flight, you know, flying across the states to to come to a game. You know, it's just too risky. And so a lot of these kids are transferring close back to home and uh, everything so their parents can drive to the game. They still can have their distance, but still watch them play. And I don't think a lot of these transfers are going to come from some of the things we were seeing in football earlier in the year where guys was transferring because something was going their way or uh, a big-time recruit and they're just so used to red carpet rolled out and first time they reach a little bit of adversity, they run. You know, right. this is the different situation. I think a lot of these guys are just looking at, especially, you know, for Davis, he's a senior, first baseman, you know, and yeah. you, you're trying to think like, man, you're transferring your senior year. And I guarantee you a lot of it has to do with him trying to get closer to some situation or something that's better for him and his family. But, um, yeah. and that's understandable. It's just a tough time because the programs are going the right way. But I'm like you though, Taylor. At the end of the day, we're going to look back at this and it's either going to make us better as a as a country, better as a people, better as programs, because we have learned what is a gift and what is in our control and what is not in our control. Until we learn that as as people, things would not get better. But as soon as we start to pick up this as people and understand, like you have to sacrifice some things sometimes in order to grow. And right yeah. now, it may be a little bit of giving up your vacations. It may be a little bit of I can't have parties or I can't have certain things. You may have to do that in order for our long term success to be relevant. Mm-hmm. And that is just what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to discipline ourselves as families to do what we have to do in order for our future to be better. Right. I actually was thinking the other day, I don't think it's a coincidence that 2020 means perfect vision. Like mm. I, I think that that's actually intentional. And I think there's something powerful that 2020 could be the year that makes us all see things more clearly. True. So write that down, everybody. All right, well, let's go ahead and bring in Mr. Marcus McNeil. And Taylor, before we bring Marcus in, I have questions for you. I'm always the one asking the questions. You're always the one asking the questions. So uh, this time around, I get to ask the questions. So you don't have to brace yourself too hard. They're pretty easy. But fans, I want you to get to know Taylor a little bit too because she's an awesome host. Okay. (laughs) Taylor, what's your go-to drink for a game? Am I um, like alcoholic? (laughs) (laughs) Any drink. Any drink. Like... Okay, Okay, so like I I work in sports, obviously. I don't drink on the job. None of my bosses please come to me. So you Um, home on the couch. When I am home watching a game, gosh, you know, I I love a good mimosa, I'll be honest with you. If it's like a a noon tip tip off, a noon kickoff, like I love a mimosa. Um, but I'm also as basic as you'd expect me to be. And I love white claws. So that's probably what I would go for. It's good. Pretty good. Pretty good. (laughs) So would you take a million dollars to not watch football or any sport for a full year? No. Oh my God. A million. Hang on. Wow. Hang on. Hang on. Let me think. Let me think. Wow. Because here's the thing, Jason, that would also mean that my job is gone. Because mm-hmm. I have to watch games for my career, so for I w- one year. Yeah, I. Oh God! You know what? I'm gonna say no. That's why I told you, you I was gonna make you think today. <laughs> if you, I know, honestly, wow. I think if you said five mil, I would do it. I think, I think I would stick with sports. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. Wow. 
guys, good attention. Favorite fast food fries, McDonald's, Checkers, or Chick-fil-A waffle fries? Ooh, Chick-fil-A. Come on with it. Do you like cherry blossom trees or Japanese maples? (laughs) (laughs) This is a J-Cam question because I don't pay attention to trees other than tumors. Um, Let me think. Cherry blossom or Japanese? Maybe cherry blossom. Really? Hmm. They're pretty. I was thinking since you was a South girl that you like Japanese maples. I mean, but. just a big a big oak tree does my heart some good. Okay. But yes, that was definitely a J-Cam question. <laughs> yeah. Good job, Taylor. You passed the test. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, I'm not letting you off the hook. You got, <laughs> I got a few I can pull, pull out of my sleeve. Okay. Um, well, you made me sound like an alcoholic. What's your favorite drink? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a red wine type of guy. Oh, you know what, Jason? I am too, but not during a football game. No, I was talking about if it's a night game, watching a Monday night game or something, I'm a red wine type of guy. Okay. What was your favorite aspect of the game day experience at Auburn? Ooh. Let me tell you what. As a fan, watching watching an eagle fly down to the field, we didn't get to see that when I was playing ball. I got to see it now as a fan. And think about it. I went all those years because I played yeah. college and then I went to the pros. So it took me 14 years before I got a chance to come back and watch the Titan, watch the, the Eagle fly to the field. Oh my gosh. So that was one. Okay. Two is Tiger Walk. Like sure. pulling up in those buses and seeing all those people out there hours before the game, getting you ready for the game, and you walking through there and it makes your day because you're just like, man, did this. this this is a sport like that I was blessed to play, but can affect so many people. And it's nothing like getting your adrenaline running when you're getting ready to run out of that tunnel on the football field and the smoke is in the air. Like, and you're hearing the bands playing and the crowds getting loud. So it's nothing like that atmosphere. Now, you know, over the last couple of years, they've changed Tiger Walk. Um, Now they're escorted through, like we've always been escorted, but now they have, up like ropes and everything that's like a distance from the players so you really can't even touch the players anymore now back in the day when i was coming through oh you was getting hit like a linebacker coming at you like getting hit <laughs> getting whacked straight across the chest whoa let's go let's go baby <laughs> so i told Tubbyville one time i said coach Tubb, no offense man i love our fans i said dude i've been sacked three times while i got to the stadium <laughs> Seriously, there's fans out there proving they could play football. That's what they're trying to do. All right, all right. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Okay, knowing what you know now, being on the the fan side of of college football and whatnot, if you did not go to Auburn, what university would you have wanted to play for? Ooh. Mm. Knowing what I know now, gosh, you know, I was committed to LSU – halfway committed to LSU before I signed with Auburn. So I probably would have went to LSU and a lot of it has to do with seafood. I'm a food junkie and 
I went down there to watch Auburn play a couple of years ago, and I ate so much fried catfish and crawfish <laughs> and etouffee and gumbo and LSU fans were just giving it to me, and I was taking it, and I was sitting up there getting them all riled up and everything. They're like, JC, at halftime, baby, you're going to be coming back here again some more. We're going to put a whipping on your tail. I oh said, no. God. I said, you're going to be coming down here preparing that after-game meal at halftime. That's what you're going to be doing for me to stop back through here and get some. How about that? <laughs> I had a blast. All right. Rapid fire. That was fun. We should do that every week. Got you because I'm definitely coming up with some questions. (laughs) We're going to come out swinging next time. All right. Let's go ahead and bring in Marcus McNeil and catch up with him. We have former Auburn offensive lineman, a key member of that undefeated SEC championship team in 2004, the 50th overall pick in the 2006 NFL draft by the San Diego Chargers, two-time pro bowler, Marcus McNeil. Marcus, welcome to the show. Ah, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Happy, happy to, especially Jason. I'm just going to go ahead and tell our listeners, we've been on the phone not recording for like five minutes, and I've almost fallen out of my chair like three times because these two are hilarious <laughs> together. So we're in for a treat. Well, you know, fans, just let me, just, just to let y'all know a little bit, you know, Marcus <laughs> is, uh, you know, a close friend. Yeah, I say all that to my guys that played on the 014. You know, he blocked mm-hmm. my blind side, so... You know, if I got hit pretty hard, you know, he got an earful. If I didn't get the ball off and fast enough, he talking about Jason. What what, what took you so long? You know, but (laughs) yeah. So 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 we had a good relationship, and it continues to the day. But I was on Marcus because Taylor he owed us an apology. You know, last week last week you know I talked to Mark. We had a good talk days before the show. He's gonna put you on blast, Marcus. You You already know. know, Go ahead, go ahead. I'm talking to him and everything. We talked about a good hour. You know, it's a good hour. So Marcus like, yeah, J. Cam, come on the show this week, man. I got you. I got you. (laughs) Day time and everything. You know, I forgot bear sleep during the day. So you know, so yeah. Oh, that's how you go. Yeah, I had to throw a snack out. I had to throw a snack out there for him. So. I said, I hit him up on it. I hit him up last Thursday. I said, well, no answer. Boom, no answer. Man, hit me back. Five hours later, he said, hey, man, I was in the garage, cleaning out the garage. I said, man, it better be the cleanest garage ever. I said, oh, you it is. You're standing in the it pocket is. stack. It <laughs> is. It is. No, no, I've been there. You know, at quarantine time, man, you got to find something to do. I got up early, 630, and went to working in that garage. I'm putting up Christmas ornaments. I'm putting up old floor. Throwing away cans of paint. By the time I got to my phone, I was like, dang, I missed my brother. Now, that was my fault. Now, I get that to you. But you could have reached out the day before and be like, hey, bro, you know, I, I talked to you last week. But, you know. No, it was, yeah, it was since no last week. Since it's 24. Since, no, it, was about, about, it might have been two weeks now since oh, you said Lord. that. It might have been two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you would have just reached out that 24 hours in advance and let me know, hey. Don't forget I'm on your schedule, bro, all right? And I've been oh. like, hey, say no more. You my family. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it was – but I'm going to take responsibility because I told you I was going to do something, and I didn't. So, I'm going to let oh. you have it, though. I'm going to let yeah, you I have pre- it. I appreciate you taking a higher road there, Mark, and saying you're going to take responsibility. Yeah, my bad. Because, you know, my bad. Yeah, you know, I, you know, you slightly try to throw it off on me, but it's all good, though, Mark. I'm going to take this <laughs> – I'm going to take this L with the team. No, it was cool. We happened to have you on this week, man. We got a great episode last week with Coach Pat Dodd, um, you know, passing and everything. So we got a chance to talk a little bit more about him. So, you know, this week is all about you, man. And we're going to let Taylor have the floor. 
we are going to dive right in with you, Marcus. And here on our show, we like to cater to the college football fan, but specifically the Auburn football fan. So I always like to start with our guests, just talking about your days on the plains. What did you love about being an Auburn athlete? What made you so connected to it? It's just, it just felt like a family. I, I always say that, you know, yeah. and that's why every time I see that orange and blue, whether I'm in the grocery store or airport, you know, you stop and you give them that war eagle because you know, regardless how far you are from the planes, you still connected to that person, you know. So oh, yeah. it, it felt like family from day one since when I walked onto the campus and then it solidified with the type of teammates I was surrounded by, you know, uh, mm -hmm. J Cam, you know, actually J Cam stayed downstairs from us, you know, while we were living in Auburn. So that was, you know, you had guys that you felt like, you know, you all living in the same houses sometimes and, and, and we built a real bond. And I think that showed on the football field. Yeah. But when I think about it though, Morgan, I think about this football season that just passed, you know, you played offensive lineman, like say you played at a high level, well, you think about it, we lost four starters this year on the offensive line, and, and, you know, we didn't have a spring. So you bring in a new offensive line coach this year, and you got replacements. You're placing everyone except for the center position. How important it is for these guys to jail quickly and them missing out on the spring? What's the biggest part you think them not having a spring may have cost them as far as a unit? Well, definitely not having a spring is going to damage the cohesiveness that you will have running those plays during the spring, knowing exactly how you need the the blocking schemes to work, you know, how the fits work on the offensive line. Like, you work a lot of footwork during the offseason, you know, getting those steps right so it, it seems uniform when you're doing in the game. You know, so missing that and it's all new guys, I think that's going to hurt a little bit. But I guess the only upside to that is that we do have the center returning. And we all know the center is like the quarterback of, of the offensive line. So mm -hmm. being able to make those calls that they need to have, you know, identify the linebackers the way that they need to, that's still going to be with a veteran, you know. Mm -hmm. A lot of the things that you have to learn at the tackles position and the guard position, usually if you get the right athlete in there and they have the ability, you can teach them, you know, how to how to work those blocks. You know, you can teach them how to move and how to do things. And usually those guys are athletic enough at the tackle position and, you know, big and strong enough at the guard position to be able to work together really well. So, you know, the main thing we have, which is being able to make those calls and identify those defenses and we're just going to have to play a little bit of catch up and getting these guys in and getting that cohesiveness together mm -hmm. yeah I think that's a great point I, I want to continue that a little bit getting your input on this past season as many bright spots as there were it, it was still a nine and four record five and three in the conference so there were some deficits what did you feel was lacking offensively last season or what would you like to see differently this season uh, you know what? I just want to see some consistency. You know, mm -hmm. the main thing we have to have on offense is consistency. You know, uh, we've been we've been having a great defense, you know, the last few years. And yeah. the way you reward that defense is by making sure that you keep that offense on the, on the field as long mm -hmm. as possible so those guys on the defense can get some good rest and come out there and attack like they need to. So, you know, uh, a lot of times people say the best defense is a good offense, you know. So mm -hmm. we have to keep it consistent on offense and make sure that we can keep – the defense refreshed on the sideline. Definitely. 
Yeah, I'm talking that's that's the key. You know, we always talk about that. Nowadays, you know, teams run this high pass, high face uh offense. You know, they're trying to get so many, you know, as I always say, ball snapped in so many seconds, you know, within every 20 seconds, they're trying to get to the next play. And the reason they do that is they're is because they're trying to put pressure on the defense and uh cause those guys to have to tap out and and sub in and out quicker. And sometimes you catch them in a sub sub situation and you get a free five yards, you get a free play. And I understand it. You know, a lot of times you're trying to, you know, you're trying to play the mind game. But like you said, at some point in time, you know, we do have to be a little bit more consistently on offense so that those guys can rest. Because if you go too fast on offense and you're hunting and you're three and out and your defense don't have a chance to rest, it can it can come back to hurt you. But mm-hmm. when I think about this team and in the run game, you know, we got Tank Bisbee, then we got DJ Williams. Tank is the guy that's coming in, the highly touted kid out of the state of Georgia. No more running back in the state of Georgia. Auburn was able to pick him up, which was a huge deal. But when you think about our run game, you play with two of the best to, to come through Auburn, uh, you, Ronnie and uh, Cadillac. When you think about those two guys as a one-two punch, how important, what does it mean for an offensive lineman when you have to block for, like, two different guys? Like, is it – do you have to learn each one of them run game – run uh, – running ability or do you have a feel for them or is it just something that you just block your guy that's in front of you and the play that's called? Yeah, that's the one thing about it. It's uh I've always seen the best way to do it is to you block the guy in front of you. And if you can, you can let the running back know before you actually start blocking them like what you planning on doing. Like if I'm planning on pressing them hard on the outside or trying to jump them because he be playing close to me and we got an outside zone play, I'm going to tell lack of running, you know, or whatever running back I got behind me, hey, just stay on my left shoulder and let's go, you know, run as fast as we can, get out there. Because a lot of the game is about angles, you know. So, you know, just giving them that little bit of key so that they know exactly what path you're taking allows them, I feel, to make the cuts that they need to know in their mind before they have to do it, you know? So mm-hmm. I've always done that, you know, as an offensive lineman, and I've always enjoyed it. I think if you think about the guy behind you too much, you'll be doing too much, you know? Mm-hmm. I, he needs to make the reads and be able to run as fast as he can. You know, you, you as an offensive lineman, we got to set the track you know, and make right. sure that we're running the right way and get that leverage that we need so that they can gain the optimal amount of yards. Every play is not going to be a home run, but, you know, if we're gaining four to six yards a pop, you know, that means we're consistently getting first downs, you know, and right. and like we said before, that means that we're going to keep the defense off the field. We always know we're going to have some good rushers. That's, that's one thing Auburn's always been known for, you know. Mm-hmm. So now you put them in a situation where they're they're – they have fuel in their tank, especially at the end of the game. You know, a two-minute situation, if you're, if you're at the end of a game, if your defense is still fresh, then they're going to really have a high motor and pin those ears back when you really need them to make that play at the end of the game. Yeah. Oh, that's really good insight to that position. I'm hopeful that our new linemen that are <laughs> waiting to get out there are listening to that because that was, that was a really good point. And that was obviously an aspect of your play that you also took with you to the league. And I want to talk to you about specifically your rookie season success. You were a rookie starter at left tackle for the entire season, and you were a crucial component of the offensive line that blocked for running back LaDainian Tomlinson. And you were not called for a single holding penalty the entire season. You finished fourth in voting for the 2006 NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year, which is just 
incredible for an offensive lineman. So talk to me about that transition period for you from college ball into the league, because, you know, a lot of guys are in that period right now. Some of our Auburn guys that, that just, you know, are making that leap and, and that transition can sometimes be challenging, but how did you transition to the league so effectively so quickly? Well, I, I mean, I guess there's many, many ways that you can look at or different levels to it. Uh, one of the things that helped me out was I went to Auburn. So when you play at a school like Auburn, the SEC, and we're playing in front of people like Tennessee, where we got over 100,000 in the stadium, we're playing at home with over 87,000 in the stadium. We're down at LSU in one of the wildest, most, you know, climates you could play in at nighttime, you know, where they – they got Joe Exotic Tigers outside, front, you know, <laughs> next to the field. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so we were ready. I was ready for the show when I got there. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Yeah. I had already seen it. So, so like, I wasn't really too caught up in, like, you know, the hype. I can still remember my first game, like, kind of, you know, the flyover and the national, you know, anthem being played and stuff. And I still remember those moments because it's like those moments that you visualize – as a kid, you know, when you saw other people playing it. So that still, like, was dear to my heart. And I, I, I was definitely pumped up about it, but I was ready to go. You know, I wasn't shy about it. I was like, okay, here come the lights, you know what I'm saying? It's time to yeah. give them a show the same way we did at Auburn. You know what I'm saying? Like, but that's how we always play. Any team I played on, any offense I've been on, especially the successful ones, like, we were ready to go when it was time to, you know, for the lights to come on. So I was excited about that. And then I guess the second thing would be, like, learning the plays, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. If I could say anything, the, the, the speed between college, especially in the SEC and the NFL, wasn't that big of a difference. Like, okay. foot speed as far, yeah. you know, and then size as well. We've got some big, big, strong guys down in the SEC. So when you, when, when, when you have, when you have, when you played against that for the, the entire time that you're there, you have to be able to react quickly. So me learning my playbook allowed me to play fast. If you don't know your playbook, then you're sitting there thinking on the run. You get exposed in the NFL because everything happens so quickly. You know, it have, you have to be able to adjust and know how to adjust if they're at a, at a drop of a dime. And you can't depend on the person next to you to tell you. You have to know that. So I, I really learned my playbook well. You know, I studied it, made sure that I knew all the plays, all the checks out of the plays, everything that I needed to know so that as soon as that ball was snapped, I could get to where I needed to be faster than the man I was supposed to be blocking, you know, right. and you see the greats who play good on defense, like Ray Lewis, the great linebackers like that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Keekly, the guys who know where to be on the field. That's why they look so fast is because they know what plays come and they know what they need to be doing. So they're going to get there nine times out of 10 faster than the person who's thinking about where they're supposed to be. So you have to get in that playbook and you just got to be ready to, you know, turn on whenever the lights come on. Yeah. Yeah. You make a great point, Marcus. And I think a lot of that too is because we went through different coordinators every year at Auburn and, yeah. uh, and for us, you know, that made you have to adjust. And you learn how to adjust quicker than, may, than maybe some of the others that was in the same offense for four years. You know, they get comfortable. But like I said, we have to learn quicker and we have to play quicker and uh, at the same time. So, you know, that definitely pays off when you got to the NFL in that in the same way. I want to get to this aspect. Mar, you from the state of Georgia. You know, like I mentioned earlier, you know, Tank Bisbee coming from the state of Georgia. When you play in these games – 
And, you know, Auburn has a schedule full of rival games, you know. But when you think about the Alabama game, the Georgia game, the LSU game, you know, just some of the big rivalry games, which game means the most to you as a player that's coming from the state of Georgia and how Auburn recruits guys out of this state and bring them to, to Auburn is a, a how big of a huge deal that is from a recruiting standpoint. Auburn's always done real good recruiting in Georgia. That's a great question. And I think a lot of that has to do with how it's positioned, you know, uh, on the east side of the state, close to the line. So you have, you know, great football that's just, you know, four to five minutes to an hour away. Like, you know, schools like LaGrange and you got Buford and then you keep on riding. Now you're in Decatur where, you know, you got teams that are constantly winning state championships, constantly putting out D1 players, you know, that are right down the street from you. You know, it was some great recruiting going on by Auburn whenever, you know, I was coming out of school and they continue to do that. That's why the Georgia game was so big to us because there were actually, I think when we played J-Cam, I think there was either actually more Georgia players on the team than Alabama players mm -hmm. or very close to, yeah. you know. So that Georgia game was like the Alabama game to the Georgia yeah. guys. You know, yeah. it was like all the guys we grew up playing football against who, you know, were the business in the state of Georgia that went to Athens you know, this is your time to play against them. So you know these guys. You've seen them in high school, you know, and now we're both playing in the SEC, you know, for bragging rights for one of the biggest rivalries in college football. So it was always a very intense game. You know, I think we went two and two uh, with them while I was in school, and uh, I still remember – the catch stick. Oh man, three and one. Michael Johnson caught that ball in the back of the end. Oh, fourth and fifteen. Oh my god. Oh, I, like I'm talking about. Oh. It was just some. It, it was just like some great moments in that Georgia game, you know. And it's been like that. It's like I still remember the tip passes. You know, the time. Who was that that fumbled in the end zone? And then CT jumped on the ball. Was that Devin? Oh I yeah, think Devin, that was Devin. yeah, Devin and Roman should do. Devin Aroma should do, fumbled the ball right before he crossed the goal line. But luckily, CT came and jumped on it and got us to win for the game, you know. So, mm -hmm. like, it's all it's always seems like those games, like some of the most special moments happen, you know. So, you know, it keeps you on the edge of your seat and just keeps you excited to see, you know, what happens each year. All right. And they moved that game, too, didn't they, Taylor? Yeah, it'll be October 10th now. Yeah, I'm so used to that game. Uh, yeah. Yep, yeah, they, earlier. Yeah. Jason, when you were a player, which which rivalry did you feel was most intense? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, me being from Mississippi, um, yeah. you know, my whole thing was, it, like Marcus said, half our team's from Georgia, half are from Alabama. So I always mm -hmm. felt like, man, I had to get up to play that Georgia game because I knew how much it meant to the guys around me. And gotcha. every game to me was important, but I feel like that game carried so much weight because it does has a lot to do with recruiting in that state. You win that yeah. game get a lot of eyebrows raising and then mm -hmm. uh, when you play the Alabama game that was huge uh so that's the fun thing about coming to Auburn is you get to play in big rivalry games that not a lot of SEC schools even in our conference get a chance to have you know there's very few teams that have multiple rivalry games and mm -hmm. games that come down like crazy in it like we talked about the Carter Lewis catch you know in the Georgia game you know the tip and the catch and running in for a for a touchdown. It's just so many memorable moments. And I always right. say, like, you have to win November in order to get to where you're trying to go. 
Yeah. And now with that game being moved to October, <laughs> it, now you need to win October and November. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's a really good point. And those games do have a substantial implication on recruiting. I mean, you never know what guy is out there watching that game and decides in that moment, I want to be a part of this, you know? So I think right. that those moments are, are really uh-huh. special. Well, my last one, uh, my last question is actually for both of you, which I don't do this enough, but Marcus, you may be surprised to hear Jason really doesn't brag about himself much. Uh, he doesn't talk about his playing days, although he will brag on his golf game, but he does not brag on his football <laughs> days. I'm going to actually ask each of you to speak on each other because the quarterback and obviously the offensive line, y'all work so so closely together and you rely on each other so much. And I think you can each give a really quality analysis of each other because you both were great at your position at Auburn so Marcus I would love to hear kind of your perspective on Jason as a quarterback what made him so effective and Jason your your perception of why Marcus was so effective on the line all right man say no more hey watch out now call Mr. Marcus on (laughs) hey listen so so I would probably say with Jason you know one of my favorite quarterbacks to play with in football Mm-hmm. was because he was fearless, you know. Um, you knew that whenever you had a guy who had to go out there and and be that general on the field and, and lead the huddle the way he needed to do with his words and by his actions, you always yeah. knew that you had that. And I, you had so much confidence in Jason because he had so many tools and he had the intangibles on top of the tools. He already had – a strong arm and athletic, but then he had the mind too to be yeah. able to really command the game, you know, and you need that to be a great team. You need that general in the huddle. You know, you need that guy who can take control of the game when he has to, you know, whether with his arms or his legs. And on top of that, man, he's just a, he was just a great guy from day one, you know, yeah. leading by example, working hard, you know, uh, being one of the guys. So many times I see the quarterback kind of, you know, be off on their own but you know a a good quarterback understands how important it is for everybody to jail and when Mm -hmm. I mean jail it's not just the offense you have to make sure that the defense and offense jail you know Mm -hmm. so we had a great relationship with the defensive players as well which I think made us so dynamic because it led us to competing in the game and when you have a quarterback who plays at such a high level you're putting defensive backs like Thorpe winners like Carlos Rogers, you know, in in a blender and making them thinking it's just iron and sharpening iron. And, and and I got a chance to be a part of that and to be a quarterback and to have a quarterback like Jason, I felt like I could do anything, you know, like I felt like yeah. the offense was limitless almost. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciate that though, Marcus. Uh, like I said, that means a lot coming from you. You know, I always consider all, all the guys I played with, you know, back in the day as like my brothers. And uh, like I said, we used to always do things, Taylor, not just in football-wise, but we had these Friday night meetings, you know, what we called the huddle. And uh, guys would get together. And, you know, we would talk about things that didn't have anything to do with football, you know, just family-related or just – you know, the pressures that we have to carry for one another. And uh, that made us play harder for each other. But when I think about Marcus, you know, this is going to be funny at first and I'm going to get serious. Uh, when Marcus came to came to Auburn, you know, I always kept hearing this word, shouty. You know, little John used to always say, shouty, shouty. <laughs> so, 
So I'm always here marking something by, shout it this, shout it that, shout it this. I was like, man, is everything shouty? So I just, I just said, like, and I, that's why it, I could be standing around the corner, coming around the corner. You hear somebody talking, you hear shouty about 10 times, about 20 words. I'm just like, that big more. <laughs> that big more. <laughs> so, so, so if you know Big Marcus, you know the word shout it. The other thing is when I think about Marcus, you know, like when you think about left tackle, like he almost has to be like glued to the hip. And what I mean by that is you always have to be on the same page, you know, communication and it's the key. And, you know, saying like he has to know your set points, you know, like where you're setting up in the pocket. And then for him, you know, it was my relationship with him. I had to have trust. You know, it's almost like you go into a relationship with someone. You have to trust that person that this is going to take care of you, you know, and and that's what it is when a quarterback has a left tackle because when you play the left tackle position, it's it's the second hardest position in all the sports behind quarterback, I feel, because you're going to get lined up against the best defensive rusher every week, and you got to do it week after week after week, and they're coming at you. And, you know, Marcus was the type of guy that I didn't have no worries. I could sleep at night. I was fine. I was cool. I had no worries about my blind side getting getting hit because I knew this is a six nine mantle of a man that can take care of his business. But then his he took things serious. Like Morgan's type of guy, he knows when to have fun, as you can probably tell on his podcast. But then he knows when to take things serious, you know. And uh, and he took some of those games personal. Like we played against Georgia, he went against David Pollitt. The the last year was top five matchup. You know, most people we probably ever seen on campus. You know, it was crazy. And uh, I don't think I even probably even touched me the whole game. If I got touched or hit, they got mad. They took it with anger and they took it out on the opponent to make sure that I didn't get touched or hit. There's no Jason Ronnie Cadillac success if it wasn't for those five guys that was in front of us. That's good stuff. See, I wanted to end it on a sweet brotherhood note. I knew you had it in you. Marcus, we certainly appreciate you taking some time to talk with us today. This was a blast. So you are welcome back here anytime that it works in with your sleep schedule. I got you. I got you. I should be good during the summertime. <laughs> hey, I'll check in with y'all later on, man. You know, it's been a good time. All right, party people. That'll wrap it up for us this week on Believe in Everything Auburn. As always, Jason and I greatly appreciate everyone listening and following along with our show as football gets possibly closer and closer. Make sure that you tell your friends, spread the word, subscribe, leave us a review, whatever you'd like as we continue to grow and get you closer to an Auburn football season. So everyone have a great week and stay safe, stay healthy, go do some yard work like my man Jason, and Mm -hmm. we will talk very soon. And if you don't want to better yourself today, find someone else to better then. Ooh. Why you gotta you you show me up at the end every time? I'm over here asking for subscribers. You're dropping life lessons like Oprah. We gotta coordinate this better. Bye everyone. Bye everyone. Appreciate it. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.